Northampton, what's up? It's time for your favorite radio show about veganism. Eat beans. It's Vegan Radio. <coughs> what's <Yes>. up, everybody? <laughs> We're excited. Uh, excited yes. to be here. So, awake. Scott, you're 41. What? 40. 41? <laughs> Already? <laughs> 40 in a day, maybe. <laughs> he just turned 40. Don't make him any older. Uh, All right. Scott Latane. Maybe now the world will the take me seriously. Now that the I'm oldest 40. vegan in the room. I think Derek and Scott are going to start a 40, 40s club, actually. I'm not there yet, baby. <laughs> but pretty soon. Yeah, I think together we could probably afford a sports car. And <laughs> and I'll a, get the girl. You have the sports car. Yeah. And you a, get the real estate license. All right. Um, who gets who gets the midlife crisis? Oh, Derek does. He already no, had we're his. splitting it. Scott's <laughs> getting the sports car. I'm getting the hot woman. Right. I've got the, the sort of woman. like introverted, thoughtful midlife crisis, and Derek is having the outgoing, extroverted <laughs> midlife crisis. Yeah, yeah. Splitting, S- splitting <laughs> responsibilities. So today's show, uh, we have Hillary Rettig. From The Lifelong Activist. She wrote a book called The Lifelong Activist. How to Change the World Without Losing Your Way. And uh, we also have A Greener Faith, Religious Environmentalism, and Our Planet's Future by Roger Gottlieb. He's a rabbi. We're going to have some Judaism and some Buddhism on today's show. We're going to talk a little bit about the bris, too. The bris. We were just talking about bris last night. Yes, we were. I don't like talking about bris. I know. I don't gives think me flashbacks. Yeah, seems like a bad topic. Yeah, it's uh, it's cutting edge technology, but it's uh, not very fun. So, uh, <clears throat> well, today we have a very special musical guest. Um, man, this microphone's got some kind of weird spring-loaded action going. It it's keeps, like it's got an alien inside of it. <laughs> maybe I have bad breath. It like keeps moving away from me. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so we have a special uh, musical guest. That you guys all know. Um, he's in the studio with us today. <laughs> and he just turned 40. Wow! Scott! Yay! Amazing. <laughs> Did you know you were going on? Um, well, I've been working on this uh, like acapella version of Green Sleeves, which I think everyone's going to really enjoy. Green Sleeves? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, are you going to sing that for us now? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what? Silence. I'm sorry. I'm, the mic just broke. So um, um, what we're doing now with Vegan Radio is anyone who wants to be a musical guest on our show has to join our website, Veganica, and upload some of your music. So that's www.veganica.com, and you need to be vegetarian or vegan. And uh, <clears throat> so that's the, that's the method you need to follow to get on our show. And uh, Scott is one of our Veganica artists. And I was looking through our Veganica artists for some music today, and I was like, wow, Scott's stuff is really good. Uh-oh, we got a caller. So we're going to play one of Scott's songs here, and we'll see who's on the line. Scott, <laughs> uh, this song. What's this song called? Uh, that's an in- that's an interesting one. It's a sketch I call "Sad Electric Song." Sad electric. Were you this sad when you wrote sad. it? It's very sad. I'm feeling sad right now. Just listening. I just to accidentally it. turned out sad. I think it was the key I chose. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's one of those ones that uh, I made using this uh, specialized piece of software called Fret Pet, <laughs> which I actually happened to write. Software. Uh, that's a piece of software that, like, it sort of emulates a guitar in a lot of ways. 
and it's uh, a Mac only app. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's basically something for people who are into guitar, or interested in guitar, who use a guitar to make chords and uh, see what they're named, and then you can make compositions out of them. So is this done entirely in Fret Pet? Uh, no, I used also GarageBand by Apple oh. Inc. <laughs> Formerly known as Apple Computer. Uh, but yeah, their, uh, their stuff is actually pretty good, so it's pretty adequate for making up uh, quick sketches, compositions, and stuff. If you're going to add live instruments, it's also it's actually pretty good for that. But if you're doing multi-tracking where you need several tracks coming in simultaneously, then you need something more high-end. So this is just like a computerized song? Is that what you would call it? Yes. <laughs> it's, uh, in fact, it's uh, in that particular one is entirely done with synthesizers. Wow. We call it electronic, Megan. Yes, electronica. <laughs> if well, you're, you know, really in the know. I like the term computerized. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it works well, for me. It's, I think you're trying to denigrate uh, Scott's <laughs> contribution. Here. No, I think it's awesome. It made me very sad. Really? Are you sad? Sorry about that. Yes. <laughs> Well, like, I, I like the thing saying. that makes me sad about that one is these high frequencies that come in because of the particular. <laughs> but I, I really wanted to filter those out. But uh, otherwise, I kind of like the little incidental notes that I whacked in there. Well, my favorite <clears> is sad <throat> song. So sad songs say so much. I don't know. So if, That's if you get a. <laughs> <laughs> so do you need to hug Megan? No, I think I'm okay. Keep maybe your distance. The, maybe the birthday boy will give you. A, <laughs> Keep your distance, Derek. Hug. I think he took a shower this morning. Maybe. <laughs> so overall, he did, he yeah. He took a birthday shower. <laughs> so I have. He was in his birthday suit when he took the shower. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in fact, I try to wear it every day. Make yeah. every day my birthday suit day. It's, it's like your underwear. Mm-hmm. Nice. But uh, overall, <laughs> got any more? Got any more music from our musical guests, Scott? Oh, we got lots of music from Scott. He's he's the most uh, published artist on Veganica. With Do you his. have have anything with lyrics? Um, well, I don't think not so. posted there. There's a no. s- there's he's, one he's song that I did. His electronic uh, stuff on Veganica and his acoustic guitar stuff. Uh, I have some archives on my computer, but I didn't bring them. Because I know he's trying to move on. That would have been sneaky. <laughs> I know he's trying to move on. That's right. I've heard them. So. Do you have a song called Colon Cleaning? <laughs> colon uh, Cleaning? No, that's Colon Clearing. Oh, colon Clearing. Colon. Oh, that's actually uh, one of the bumpers. He plays He plays uh. it out his butt. <laughs> yeah, it's like GarageBand uh, is great for bumpers. It's great for mixing. I've just uh, been like You really might remember this it. one, Megan. Vegan Radio. Clearing the air and your colon since 2005. <laughs> <laughs> that that actually is a Scott Latane uh, composition too. Yeah, that's that's the voice I use where I talk more through my <laughs> nose. <laughs> so uh, let's move on to Underwater Romance. Do you want to tell us about this song, Scotty? Underwater Romance is another uh, accidental composition that came out of Fret Pet and and, and Garage Band and Absinthe, which is another cool German synthesizer program, uh, but. Uh, no, so what what did I what was I thinking when I when I did this? Well, I guess it's the it's the instrumentation is what suggested the the name, something about the the kind of liquid uh, synthesizer under everything else just kind yeah. of implied it. So you you didn't have uh, any underwater love in mind uh, at the time. Uh, you weren't thinking of some mermaid or something. You were it began to, to evoke that in my mind as I played it, and uh, you know. I, I was feeling that particular vibe and uh, and the visions that you described. Actually, yeah, they were definitely. Involved. I've always wondered how you would make love to a mermaid, but my curiosity. I, I guess you could have some romance. Anyway. My curiosity is peaked. Can you please play the song? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to come back with um, Roger Gottlieb with his book on uh, religious environmentalism, and uh, we're going to play Scotty's song first as we try to get him on the line. Hopefully, this will work this time. Okay, underwater romance. Love
right, that's Scott Latane's song, Underwater Love. Are you there, Roger? Yes, I am. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Great. So we've been uh, we received your book, and uh, in the mail, a greener faith, religious environmentalism, and our planet's future. And uh, we've both been looking it over. We've been perusing it. Good. Perusing. So, um, do you want to describe briefly what um, the book is about? Okay. What it's about is is this: there is, and has been growing for the last twenty years, a historically unprecedented and really quite hopeful and wonderful movement of religious environmentalism. It's uh, part of every religious tradition in the world. It's on virtually every country in the world. What you have is religious people, just like everybody else, becoming aware of the magnitude of the environmental crisis, the, uh, the devastating consequences of the way in which we produce and consume and move stuff around, and trying to really rethink their religions uh, both in terms of theology, what God is, what God means, what God wants from us, what spiritual truth is, what enlightenment is, and also in terms of ethical and therefore political activity in their daily lives and what they can do with their institutions. So you have people rereading the Bible through a, a green perspective. Uh, you have the Sikh religion committing itself to becoming environmental for the next 300 years and making their institutions sustainable and going over to more effective ways of consuming fuel and so forth. Uh, you have acupuncture colleges uh, in the Orient rewriting traditional scripts so that uh, parts of endangered animals are not called for. All this stuff and more is going on all over, and it's very hopeful. Cool. <coughs> <laughs> Megan's got some. <laughs> <laughs> well put, well put, there. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ro- Roger, um, mm-hmm. do you want to talk a little bit about the difference, um, say, between... Um, being religious and having a sense of spirituality. I know some some people, um, when they hear religion, they kind of yeah. Some people get hives. Yeah, they, get, they have some uh, and preconceived because, notions. Probably because they they take a look at the either the violence that is being done in the name of religion throughout the world, whether it's uh, sort of parts of the Christian right in this country or more violence uh, by Islamic fundamentalists or Hindu fundamentalists or because they had some kind of really nasty or really boring religious instruction when they were kids and they felt stifled or repressed by it. Uh, People should realize that the world of religion is an entire universe of good and bad, enlightened and unenlightened, uh, pleasant and unpleasant people, just like the secular world. Uh, I I find it kind of amusing that people often say, well, you know, religion is horrible and keep it out of politics, and then they go off and celebrate Martin Luther King Day. Right. Uh, thinking that uh, maybe Martin Luther King was an insurance man or something. No, he was actually <laughs> a minister. That's <laughs> how he earned a living. Um, and I think if you try to describe what spirituality is, what you find is that <clears throat> uh, any description of spirituality will also describe certain ways in which some people are religious. So if you think of spirituality as a way of trying to develop um, various kinds of virtues to make yourself happier and the people around you happier, virtues like gratitude, uh, like wonder, like humility. Well, you find that talked about in religious circles as well. So spirituality in that sense is something that's a little more detached from emphasis on creed or, you know, saying what God's zip code is or something like that. And it's a little more emphasis on the personal, on the individual path towards some kind of spiritual development. But they really go together well. I mean, there are people who are spiritual but not religious who are uh, sort of just hiding in their room and fa- afraid to face the world. And there are people who are religious who are gung-ho to shove their particular beliefs down your throat. Uh, happily, neither of those things uh, arise in the context of religious environmentalism. One of the great things that happens as religions become more environmentally oriented is that, number one, they become much more ecumenical. They recognize that whatever you think God is or isn't or spiritual truth is or isn't, Everybody wants clean air, everybody wants clean water, everybody really wants their children not to get cancer. So there's a basis for unity, and you see this in the behavior of religious environmentalists, countless different uh, coalition groups, uh, rainbow groups working together. Um, another thing that happens with uh, religions as they become more, ecum- more environmental is that they begin to become much more respecting of native traditions, of indigenous peoples. You find the Catholic Church, very interesting, because for centuries the Catholic Church repressed every example of native religion it could get its hands on. Speaking now about the wisdom of uh, native peoples and their understanding of how to cooperate with the earth. And you also find uh, religious groups becoming uh, more cooperative with and engaging in joint ventures with non-religious groups. Uh, There have been several major declarations linking 
leading scientists, Nobel Prize-winning scientists, and leading religious figures crying out for serious action on the environment. There was just a press conference today happening between some Harvard scientists and leaders of the evangelical Christian movement. Now, evangelical Christians are generally thought of as, uh, by us, you know, sort of East Coast liberal types, as uh, backward and hopeless. But these people are evangelical Christians. They consider themselves biblically orthodox. and They're totally committed to being stewards of the earth. So uh, in all these ways, you find that religious environmentalism is generally a good thing. Uh, and I, from my particular perspective, I mean, I'm, I'm so far to the left, I fell off the planet once, uh, <laughs> that uh, religious environmentalism generally leads people to, to the left, that is to say, to, towards a more critical opinion of either multinational corporations, of unrestrained economic globalization, or of oppressive governments and militarism. So it leads to a much greater political sophistication on the part of religious groups than they had before. <clears throat> Dealing with the environmental crisis is such a mammoth task. It goes to the very roots of our civilization in a way that, for instance, getting equality for African Americans in the South didn't. I mean, you could let African Americans sit in front of the bus and eat at the lunch counter and vote, and you didn't have to change the social structure all that much in other ways. But for us to really confront the environmental crisis, for us to change the way we produce, for us to start respecting animals, as actual beings with feelings, well, that's going to take a huge change. And therefore, as religions become more environmental, they start to get a more sophisticated understanding of how society works, the role of corporations, the role of government, the role of military, and so forth. Roger, uh, this is Scott, the third wheel here. I, I actually was wondering if you, if you might have any thoughts on why people have so much of an easier time getting together over the environment. Rather, uh, it seems like the, it's not quite as much cohesion over human issues. You know. Right. Well, clearly it's something that we all have interest in, no matter how rich we are. I mean, even if we can buy water filters or <clears throat> live in the, in the part of the uh, state where there's less air pollution, we, we know we have a kind of gut feeling that it does really affect everyone about every one of us. I also think there's a, a way in which nature has been a kind of repository for spiritual aspiration, for spiritual hope, for being soothed. You know, Anne Frank uh, wrote that as long as we can go outside and be alone with God and nature, then everything will be all right. Uh, and so there's there's this you know teenage girl trapped in this attic by people you know surrounded by people who want to kill her, and, and that was her image of the safe place. And now, unfortunately, we know that if you go out with God and nature uh, and you don't have the right kind of sunblock on, well, because we've thinned the ozone layer, you might get skin cancer. So something very precious to us is being threatened, has been crippled, has, has been affected by us. And I think this gives us a basis for really reassessing our whole civilization. Yeah, the whole mutual self-interest uh, thing. Well, it, it, it is about self-interest, but it's also about a larger sense of self. I think when we look at what's lost, uh, you know, I mean, some people just rub their hands with glee and let's, and let's say let's, let's clear-cut another forest. Uh, but I think a lot of other people look at what's lost and they feel a sense of horror. And they feel a kind of sinking sense of what kind of world am I living in when we read uh, that the polar bears are starving to death, they're having to eat each other because the water is warmer and there's less ice for them to use as a basis for go out and get food. There's something kind of horrible about that. I think a lot of people feel that. I, I think there's a kind of political passivity that's enforced, a kind of hopelessness. I think people are distracted by the Internet and all the technological toys people have, and just making a living and running around frantic all the time. Uh, but I think there's a deep unhappiness uh, that people feel about this, some kind of subliminal awareness. That, oh, something's not right. Something's not right. Oh, I better go watch TV. But something's not right. Something's not right. And that, that sense that something's not right, then that get, gets embodied in environmentalism. And I think the, the moral authority that religion still has in many places, not, not every place. There's some people who look at uh, religion and want to leave the room. But in a lot of places, religion has a tremendous kind of moral authority, and you can see in particular places, there's one marvelous story, the coast of Africa, these Islamic fishermen were dynamiting to get fish, which will get you a lot of fish, but will destroy the coral reef and destroy the future fish stocks. And the government uh, told them to stop doing it, and they said, later for you. And some uh, environment, you know, ecologists, scientists said, don't do it, and they said, later for you. But then when people got hold of the local religious authority and talked to him about it and, and led him to reread the Koran in light of what was going on, and he said, stop, right? This is un-Islamic. You cannot do this anymore. And the dynamiting stopped. Now, that's a kind of dramatic, a very small one, tiny little place, but it's a dramatic example of how 
the religious motivation can really make a, a powerful and good difference. Roger, what would you say um, about there's a obviously there's a big movement with um, young vegan activists, um, you know, fighting for animals and the environment. Um, and I would say who are pretty anti-religious, anti-spirituality. Um, do you think it's important to bridge the gap with that group? Or Well, essentially, I think every environmentalist needs every other environmentalist. So uh, if people, if the term spirituality or the term religion isn't their cup of tea, God bless them, let them continue to do the work. I have, I have no problem with anybody's, uh, you know, I think everything is true. I think all the religions are true, and all the non-religions, they're also true. It's not a problem with me. <laughs> Um, I think, <laughs> however, that it certainly as I read the history of a great deal of the environment, environmental movement in general, and also much of animal rights movement, they, people there take what I would consider to be a spiritual attitude towards animals. It's not just that we're each individual are each individual rights. Otherwise, people wouldn't care about the raccoon. They, I don't think they really would. It's because there's a kind of spiritual sympathy for the suffering of these sentient, beautiful creatures that people have this kind of activism, I believe. Uh, so in that sense, you know, what they call it God, or spirituality, it doesn't make any difference. There's this sense that we are larger than our individual selves. We're larger than our individual bank accounts, our credit cards, our email address. That there's some kind of resonance, and that we are at our best when we resonate with, with the trees, uh, with the animals, with the rest of life, and with the rest of human beings as well. Right. Why, why do you think that um, there's such inconsistency with people who consider themselves to be religious and, you know, go to church and, you know, say that, know that it's the right thing to do to be kind to other people, and then their actions don't seem to match up with with their religion. Well, you know, <clears throat> most people most of the time are morally weak, and I certainly, you can put me at the top of the list there. <laughs> uh, I don't mean to accuse anybody of anything I wouldn't say about myself. Most people are morally weak. I mean, you know, people yell about how America is a Christian country. When's the last time you saw anybody loving their enemy? Yeah. I didn't notice that among all the Christians after 9-11. I didn't hear one person say, right. well, actually, I did. I was the Quakers. But outside right. of the Quakers, right. I didn't hear one established, not a, not a Catholic, not an Episcopalian, not a Baptist, not an Evangelical. Now, one of them said, Christ says we should love our enemies. Therefore, we should love the people that did that to the United States. Now, that part of the religion, they, they skipped over and they went to the fire and brimstone. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> you know, religion is an aspiration. All moral theory, all moral attitudes are aspirations, and people fall short. However, there are times when something brilliant and beautiful can emerge precisely because those aspirations exist. I mean, we saw it with Martin Luther King. You saw it with Gandhi. You see it with Aung San Suu Kyi in, in Myanmar, who's this Buddhist leader of the democracy movement there. Uh, you see it with animal rights. Where people are saying, look, we have to, you know, all right, so, so maybe this lab won't cure cancer, but it's not worth it. 50 million rats every year to get one slight improvement in a cancer drug. You know, maybe before we do that, we should get all the goddamn pollutants out of the atmosphere. Do that for 50 <laughs> years, and then come back and kill some rats. Okay, in the meantime, let's stop putting the garbage and the poisons in the atmosphere. Uh, if you really want to cure cancer, you're so interested, let's try not yeah. doing the rat routine. We've got other ways to do it. That's just too um, rational, man. So, yeah, right. <laughs> an idea way ahead of its time. Uh, actually, it Rachel Carson said it 40 right. years ago. Think, uh, so um, I, I think that, you know, human beings are weak. I mean, my father-in-law's memory for a blessing used to say, you know, all these things are great ideals, he'd say, but the human material is too weak. Mm. You know, and there is that. So that's why, since I'm, you know, as I put myself first on this, we have to do our politics, I believe, in a, in a way that's marked by kindness, by compassion, by humility. That doesn't mean you don't stand up for what you believe. There's no reason you can't do it with a smile on your face. There's no reason you can't be respectful if you're sh sitting in and shutting down some guy's lab. Be friendly. Don't be mean. <laughs> you know, if you want to have a successful political movement, you can't seem like a bunch of rabid, nasty people, or otherwise that's the only kind of people who come join you, and then things will not go well. You've got to seem like people. the kindest, nicest, sweetest people with the best sex lives. Then people will come <laughs> to your meetings. <laughs> I can work on that one. Yeah, well, good luck. Yeah. So um, <laughs> do, you th do you think that um, on the other side of the spectrum – I know a lot of religions have uh, like Armageddon built into their right. uh, philosophy. Is that, do you think that there's people who just um, think that this is the end of the world and you know they're not going to do anything to? Yeah, there slow are some people down? like that. There are. They're um, going to just throw more wood on the fire. Or yeah, something? they're not going to. They're not going to. Uh, they're not going to be a great help. 
but it's you know it's the same thing in the secular world. There, there's some people all they care about is getting to the ski resort. Yeah, that's what I care about. So it's, I think the thing is, if you take a serious look at this, uh, that saying that somebody's religious uh, doesn't tell you anything about them politically or morally. The same thing like saying something somebody's secular. You know, when Richard Nixon was forced to resign, having you know tr- trashed the Constitution. I didn't hear one person say these goddamn secular politicians. They shouldn't be letting off it. <laughs> Those Quakers. <laughs> but if some <laughs> religious person does acts like a, <clears throat> you know, a crook or a thief or something, they say, ah, it's the problem is religion. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's not fair. Uh, you know, there's there's good and bad on both on both sides. Yeah, I, I think your book is so important, and what you're saying is so important because. Um, just having a sense, I have a sense of spirituality and would like to connect that with with my animal rights. And oftentimes it just feels like if you just bring up the word religion or spirituality, you get shut out by a lot of people. And I think that you're, sh- you're showing a side um, of religion or spirituality that, you know, is positive. Yeah, and, and it's interesting. I mean, there is a chapter in the book which sort of argues that environmentalism is a, is a kind of spirituality. And I think if you look at many of the major voices from the 19th century to the present, you see that they had a kind of spiritual attitude towards nature. It wasn't just that, oh, well, we want to save the woods because it's efficient. We want to be, uh, you know, save it so that we can go hunting. There's a sense of the wonder, of the mystery, of the special gift that this stuff is. And you have that in the 19th century, and you have it in groups like Forest Service employees for environmental ethics who are actually people who work for the government. They work for the Forest Service, and they're sick about what the government has been doing uh, in the last administrations. And they say that it's our sacred task to hand down the forest from one generation to the next. Now, that's, they don't have to use that word. You know, sacred. What do they mean? Do they mean the Pope said so? No, it's a sense <laughs> of seriousness, a sense of mystery and awe that they, they feel about the forest. And I think that's true uh, of everybody. And I think it's, you know, the, the religious right and the fundamentalists and the people who want to bomb airplanes, they don't, own, earn reli- they don't own religion and spirituality. I won't give that to them. You know, I have as much right to say what spirituality is. You have as much right to say what spirituality is as anybody else. Yeah, I remember uh, Alan Watts uh, described something he called ecological consciousness. Right. Um, and really, yeah, that the sacred really just kind of emanates from the realization of your your own very in deep and intrinsic connection to everything around you. That's right. Not that, only I your that's, actions. I think that's but, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly right. I mean, you know, you walk down the street, you see these trees. Well, they're, you know, or somebody would say, you know, how can you be alone in the woods? If I'm in the woods, I'm not alone. Yeah, they glow. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. Um, Derek? Me? You. Um, oh, I had something I was going to say, but then then you threw me off with Alan Watts. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. Yeah, you can go on a real tangent about Alan. It escaped uh, me. Well, what 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 one thing... Well, I was going to say that um, veganism is a lot, has a lot of similarities to religion, I think, in, yeah. in some of its... Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, why would somebody go to all that trouble in our society? I mean, it's pretty easy to be a vegan in, you know, some village in India. But why would somebody go to that trouble? It, does it not have something to do with a kind of love? Yep. It's all about love, Roger. Yeah, I, I'll say. Get down to the end. Love and kindness, you know. Uh, you, you can list the ideologies. You know, I, that's what I do for a living, right, is ideologies. Don't ask me to fix your car. Uh, but I'm very <laughs> good with ideologies. <laughs> you know, Marxism, socialism, feminism, and black liberation, all this kind of stuff. And they're all good. They're all good. But if they don't manifest themselves in a kind of love, or they don't proceed from a kind of love, well, you're just going to get Stalinism, which is to say you're just going to get murder. Yeah, that's got to be the core of all our actions, I suppose. Absolutely. All right, well, we have time for one more question, I think. Uh, you got one, Megzi? Um, well, I would just say what would what's the most important point to you that, you'd like to, that you're trying to get across in your book, Roger? That people can be committed, serious Jews, Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, Protestants, whatever, and still be committed and serious environmentalists. In fact, they'll be better. Jews, Christians, Buddhists, and Hindus, and so forth, if they are committed environmentalists. And that the secular environmental community has, waiting for it, this huge global partner. So let's get together and make the world a better place. Well, thanks for uh, helping make that happen, Roger. Thank you. It's a really great book. Um, So tell them what it is and who I am. (laughs) So if they want to find me and, uh, you know, buy 10,000 copies, they'll know where to get it. It is A a Greener Faith, Religious Environmentalism, and Our Planet's Future. By Roger Gottlieb. And uh, we'll have links to all that stuff on our website, www.veganradio.com. 
And uh, do you have a website you want to? Uh, no, I just tell people that if they, they want to contact me, I'm a professor of philosophy at Worcester Polytechnic Institute. Worcester. Worcester. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for coming on our show, and we hope your book does really well and uh, connects a lot of people. Um, Thank you. I enjoyed it. Hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. God willing. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Roger Gottlieb. That was good. Yeah. How are you guys feeling? I oh. feel good. I feel like this yeah. is... <laughs> well, he wasn't that interesting. No, he was no. great. Great no, that's speaker. Just me. I feel a lot of love in the room. I, and I, <laughs> I feel like the love in the room has increased since we started talking. Yeah, well, I feel like it's my favorite topic. It's 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 great for me because, like I said, I I you know have a lot of conversations with people, and I try to bring in spirituality into it. And as soon as I do that, there's a there's a shutdown. And he is a very articulate person on that topic and it's nice to have so him. is there a roommate in particular you're <laughs> talking about? <laughs> david styles you know you're out there <laughs> so uh well we're gonna have to cut to another scott latain classic song here um i hope it's five by three five by three you want us to play okay we can do that so uh, yeah I don't know. do you want to do you want to give us an intro to this song um if you listen very carefully, <laughs> you'll notice that it's a 15-16 beat over a 4-4 beat, and it continues to uh, lose ground to itself, but it sounds very cool. Wow. I don't even know what that means. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> for, the, for the music geeks out there. And the mathematicians. Put your ear right to the speaker, and you'll... It'll be bliss. It'll be, it'll be like communing with Scotty God. Okay, here we go. You ready, Megs? <laughs> I've been ready. Meg, Play it. Did I tell you I love you? <laughs> lately. Have I told you lately that I love you? No, thank you. Oh, right okay. back at you. Okay, baby. Here we go. <laughs> That's not Hillary. <laughs> I think we lost her. 
Oh no, what are we going to do? We're going to play another Scotty song and get her back oh, in the line. Oh no, this is terrible. What else we got? <laughs> trance dance? Uh, you guys want to talk about anything? Okay, we got trance dance. Trance dance is on the air. Scott, you're, you're like uh, the whole show today. I had no idea. Okay. Any, do you want to say anything about trance dance? Trance dance, uh, yet another accidental composition using a bunch <laughs> of the same stuff. Uh, but uh, this, this one is a little more refined and special. Special. Here it goes. Trance dance. In your pants. Some serious technical difficulties today. Keep losing her. We're out of music. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Oh, <laughs> uh, geez. Well, let's see. Um, I have no idea what to do. Let's play a PSA, I guess. Hi, I'm Sarah Kramer from GoVegan.net, and you're listening to Vegan Radio. Hillary? Yes. Oh, my God, we did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a miracle. <sighs> Okay, so Every we have, week, Hillary, we have problems. <laughs> I don't know what it is. We've got Hillary Reddig on the line. She has written the book, The Lifelong Activist, How to Change the World Without Losing Your Way. Yeah, hello. <clears throat> hello. So you haven't lost your way yet, Hillary? No, I'm, I'm still on my way. <laughs> have you changed the world? I, I hope I have. I try to. I think I have in, in some areas. Is this your first book, or have you written another book? This is my first book. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Well, Thank I you. think every time you write a book, it changes the world. Well, I hope you're right, and I've been getting really good feedback on this one, and people are saying they're really finding it very you know, helpful to them as they try to change the world, which is very gratifying. Do you want to give us just a, a quick, synopsis. quick synopsis? Sure. Um, my book is basically a guide to living a happy and productive life that includes a strong progressive mission. And so the book is aimed at all progressives, uh, including, of course, vegans, of which I'm one, uh, and animal rights activists, which I'm one, and but also union organizers and human rights workers and human services workers and teachers and artists and everybody else who self-identifies as a progressive. And it can be a tough life. Um, you know, progressivism as a career or a hobby typically doesn't pay very well. And it also tends to involve enormous rewards but also, in some cases, enormous stress. And so the book is basically about how to manage all that and balance all of that in such a way that you can be happy and productive, you know, across your whole career, your whole life, if you will, and continue to just do good work. Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about that, about trying to do your activism and not making very much money? What's your solution for that? Um, let me take a step back and outline the, the major sections of the book because they correspond to the major things people need to do in order to achieve that goal of the happy, productive life. The first section of the book is called Managing Your Mission, and that's basically about you know coming up with an authentic vision of who you are and what you want to be doing. The second section of the book is called Managing Your Time, so you can actually come up with a schedule and follow the schedule that allows you to achieve your mission. The third section of the book is called Managing Your Fears, and it's basically about beating procrastination and blocks to success. So in other words, once you have your schedule, if you manage your fears, you're actually able to follow it and be productive. 
And then after that, the next section of the book is managing your relationship with self and managing your relationship with others. The idea being that once you become very strong and, and productive, that you can then leverage your talents by working effectively with other people. Now, you asked about the money question. Mm-hmm. You know, what I, it's actually a fairly controversial part of the book, but I basically, the major point I make is that being poor is really not helping anybody. It doesn't help you, and it doesn't help yourself, and it doesn't lead to more activism. Uh, I am not advocating a bourgeois life. I am not active, uh, advocating selling out, which is actually a term I don't like to use. But I am advocating that people look at who they are and what their needs truly are. And most of us need a modicum of comfort. Certainly in the United States, we need health insurance. Uh, we need to be able to take care of our responsibilities and our obligations to ourselves. Maybe other people are also depending on us. And it might be okay to, uh, when you know, particularly for very limited times, not have a sustainable income that takes care of those needs. But it's not a good long-term strategy. And I think poverty actually leads to burnout, maybe more than any other factor. Right. You're not you're not talking about the need to make millions of dollars, but you're talking about being able to take care of yourself so that you're able to continue the work that you want to do. Right, with some grace and dignity because, you know, poverty is very wearing, you know, and and let's say, and again, I'm not saying that I'm anti. I get into trouble making these points because somebody will always come back and say, well, what's wrong with public transportation? There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I live in downtown Boston, and I don't own a car. Uh, So I take public transportation all the time. But for someone who does have to do a lot of traveling, it's a good idea to have a car that doesn't break down constantly, you know, because that's just a waste of your time and effort and energy. Of course, it's also good to have a car that is, you know, not a a gas hog, so something that would, you know, be, you know, a little economical to drive. So these are choices you can only have if you have a little extra money. Okay. And and do you have advice in the book how to kind of be living your passions and and get that money? Yes. A lot of people who are in this bind of, of never, ever, ever having enough money are usually not aware of their options. And this is actually something I do when I mentor a lot of progressives. Um, they're not aware. Activists tend to have, they tend to be pretty smart people. They tend to have a lot of skills. They tend to be resourceful. They probably have more employment options than they realize. And they also probably have more um, career options than they realize. One of the big points I try to hammer home is the difference between having a job and a career. And a job may be something you take just as a stopgap, you know, to get to get past, you know, the initial crunch. But that a series of thankless, low-paying jobs is also not a good solution. You really not need to craft a career for yourself. And it could be in something like medicine. It could be, which does, you know, helps people and doesn't hurt people. It could be in human services. Um, it could be actually in activism itself. It could be in teaching. There are more alternatives than a lot of progressives or young activists, in particular, often think. Cool. <laughs> Why the laughter? Oh, just because I, I answered our last uh, interviewee with the word cool. He keeps saying cool to everything that that everybody's I, saying. <laughs> well, I hope that was cool. I think you're cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm suffering a little burnout myself, so I'm trying to get through it. Um, well, you're you're a self-employed, and yeah. as a self-employed person, I I'm mean, a self-employed you don't make burnout. a lot. Something uh, that I was that I read in the book that um, I found interesting. Um, this is just a spiral to something different. Um, was it? You had a chapter dedicated to saying that. It doesn't matter, like, if you're, say, if you have something that you want to sell, if you have a product that you that you want to sell, whether it's better than the other product, but that you have to have the right marketing for it. Yes. Um, and do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. And I need to congratulate you for coming up with the actual sections of the book <laughs> that, like, people are, are, like, consider the most controversial right. and they're giving me the most flack about. You're really, like, homing in on both of them. <laughs> we, we like to be controversial. <laughs> okay. I'm getting um, a fair amount of pushback from that. Actually, two responses. So there are activists who read 
the section of the book on, on why you should be doing marketing and sales as an essential framework for your activism. And they're saying, yeah, of course, of course. And then there are others who think that's, that's simply heinous advice. Um, but I come from a business background, and actually my current and past day jobs have involved microenterprise. So I help economically disadvantaged people start businesses. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I myself am quite familiar with marketing and sales. And it basically, marketing and sales derive from fundamental principles of psychology. And they can be used exploitively, but I say several times in the book that that's not what I'm advocating. And also, when you use marketing and sales to sell progressivism or vegetarianism, I think that's fundamentally a wonderful thing. The problem people run into is that they think that people should care about environmentalism and vegetarianism and human rights and stuff for their own, for their own sake because these are very wonderful causes. And there are people, and probably a lot of people listening to this show, do care about those things for their own sake. But there are many other people who, who don't or care, and the issues need to be, in order for them to care, the issues need to be framed in a way they'll understand it. So a good example is if you come from an academic background, you, you know, you've been to college, you're comfortable with doing a lot of reading, you're comfortable with, you know, ideas and theoretical frameworks and critical thinking and all the rest of it, um, there are certain ways that you're comfortable taking in information. Those ways may not apply to someone else from a different background or in a different set of circumstances. And so you really, and it's not their fault, it's your job as the activist Mm -hmm. to frame your cause in a way that people will easily buy it quote-unquote, and that is really sales and marketing. And once you accept the need to do that, you should do it right. And corporations, for better or worse, have spent you know, hundreds of years figuring out how to do it right. And those are the people we should emulate, although not exploitively and for better motives than many of them have. Right. In your book, you said you have to find out like what the needs of that person are and stop kind of talking about your what you think and your needs and figuring out what they need. Absolutely. Uh, One example I talk about is environmentalism. If you get up in front of a church group and you start talking about, you know, global warming or climate change, you may or may not get a positive reaction. But if you get up in front of a church group and talk about stewardship, which many Christians believe is actually one of their obligations to, to, to take care of what they consider God's creation, you, you are very likely to get a much stronger response to exactly the same information, but you have framed it in a way that makes it easier for them to, quote-unquote, buy what it is you are, quote-unquote, selling. Right. And now you can be a purist and turn your nose up to that and say, blah, 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 but that really isn't helping you. It's not helping the planet. It's not helping the people that, you know, you you would like to be working with. That's a great way to think about it. It works. Yeah. It absolutely works. I think uh, Vegan Radio is a marketing department for veganism. <laughs> yeah, but we're not we're not sure who we're reaching. That's the problem. Uh, we know who we're reaching. <laughs> well, you know, marketing is one of those things you 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 know you keep working on and you keep refining your message. Um, I you know the thing that's wonderful about veganism and vegetarianism is that it just it's so wonderful for everybody involved, and you know it, it's wonderful for the planet. It's wonderful for labor. It's wonderful for of course, the animals not to be eaten and tortured before they're eaten. And it's just wonderful for the individuals, you know, who are living, you know, healthier lives because they're not taking in all of this stuff. Hillary. So uh, to me, veganism, vegetarian, I actually prefer the term vegetarianism, even though I'm a vegan, mm-hmm. because I find when I talk, tell people I'm Cuts a vegan, they either don't get it or <laughs> they think I'm a Martian or something <laughs> like that, whereas right. if I say I'm a vegetarian, right. Everybody gets it. Right. And, and they say, oh, you eat fish and chicken. No. Yeah, well, <laughs> then I just tell them I don't. <laughs> right. Hillary, we're, we're running out of time. Is there any um, last words of wisdom from the book that you'd like to get across to our listeners? Uh, yes. I think that the, the section that seems to resonate most with people is about defeating your own fears and blocks and procrastination. And everybody procrastinates. Progressives suffer from a lot of guilt and shame for various reasons. Um, I urge people to take a look at the book and also take a look at my blog, which is lifelongactivist.com, 
where I talk with a lot of progressives on these issues. And I encourage people to, to write me at lifelongactivist at riseup.net, and I'll try to respond to as many of those queries as possible. Thank you, Hillary. Okay. That's Hillary Reddick, the lifelong activist, how to change the world without losing your way. Thank you both. It's a great conversation. Thanks. We're going to be calling you for some personal coaching soon. <laughs> You're welcome to do that, Derek. <laughs> you all are. Okay, bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. All right. Well, we've done it. <laughs> we've we done it again. We, we've <laughs> made fools of ourselves one more Time. At least our guests are interesting. You know, that's our saving <laughs> great grace. We're gonna be we're gonna be practicing, you know, our our bantering skills. Bantering. I, th- I think we need to. Yeah, we're gonna get together and have a coaching session. All right. <laughs> if anyone wants to meet us at Evolution, we're gonna be bantering in about ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> bantering over some good vegan food. Yum. Um. So if you want to uh, find out about anything you heard on the show today, check our show notes at www.veganradio.com. And if you have music you want to give us to play on our show, www.veganica.com. Join up as an artist for free and upload your stuff. And uh, <laughs> if you want, if you're a guitar player and you use a Mac, check out Scotty's Fret Fat. It's pretty cool. All right. All right. We'll see you in two weeks. Rock on. Go Gold vegan. dust vegans. Bye-bye.